Welcome to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers. Our special guest today is Stefan Sokobiak. His farm was the focus of The Permaculture Orchard by Olivier Asselin, who is currently working on Gracie's Backyard, which is about Richard Perkins' farm. It's, it's pretty epic. I, I, I donated to the campaign. I can't wait to watch the film. The Permaculture Orchard is amazing. If you, do, if you haven't seen it, make it your job this week to go see it. You can get a digital download online or you can buy it online. The Permaculture Orchard is both instructive and inspirational. And it's so clear that you, you feel like you could do it and you absolutely can, especially with the directions and the clarity that is created with that film. Stefan has been continuously refining Miracle Farms and everyone wants to know what's going on with his farm up in Quebec. And he's been traveling the world teaching. So let's dive into our conversation with Stefan and catch up with him. I met him first at Permaculture Voices in San Diego. Stefan is actually one of our peer reviewers and editors. He gave me he gave me edits I had to make on his section. You know, he corrected me, uh, which is really critical. I really feel that we need to contact experts on these things on their sites and get them to give the final say because it's it's their farm we're talking about. So he had the final say on this section and the permaculture student too. And so this is where we pick up after I had shared with him the finished book, the digital version, and he checked it out. And it's truly an honor to be friends with Stefan, to uh, get his advice and his guidance with my book, and also to have his wonderful example and teaching in my life. And I hope that you can find his teaching and bring it into your life and benefit from it because absolutely incredible work, incredible value. And let's dive into the conversation now. Yes, so update, uh, update, yes, absolutely update in some way, probably not in a movie, but I would love to do a little uh, series of videos. I think vid little short videos are, are, have got a lot of impact because you could put the exact title of what it's about and people can find that and, and share it because it's uh, really pertinent to what they need at the moment. Absolutely. You know, you probably could even set up and create a community where you have a subscription-based system where you're putting these movies out, you know, every two weeks or, or every week and and everyone on your newsletter is, is participating in it or something like that. Because like you said, those smaller videos, uh, they get people's attention. They hold people's attention because they're short enough. They match, right? <laughs> and, and people really digest them. Yeah, 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 no, that's... But any of the visuals, yes, a picture is worth a thousand words, and a moving picture is worth ten thousand words. So that's that's ways to do it. I mean, we're in the one of one aspect of what you and I do is really communicating information, and so it comes down to how can we communicate that information most effectively. Sometimes it is through a written format. Sometimes it's a picture and a title. Uh, sometimes it's a paragraph and a picture, and other times it's a video. So regardless of what format, I think being educators, we kind of think through the different ways and, and think of what's the best way of conveying that idea across. Absolutely. 
So speaking to that, you've been traveling the world, educating people, the, and how long has that been going on? Did that start with the permaculture orchard, or was that an out, was the permaculture orchard an outgrowth of that of that travel teaching? Uh, it, it all sort of happened at the same time because I I really kept low with the orchard until about 2013. So until then, I really was not convinced myself that it would work. It's it's not obvious. Uh, I couldn't go to my second neighbor and see how did you do that. Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't didn't exist. So I had to kind of do it and hope and expect that it would work out somewhat how I thought. But I was not myself com- convinced. And I I remember, you know, you cannot be convincing if you are not convinced. So. I was not convinced, so I didn't want to talk about it, and I really just kept a very low profile. And then when I saw that, okay, wow, this is this is really working, <laughs> you know, better than I thought even. And so then I decided, yes, I should start getting the word out. And so it was, there was a little nine-minute video that turned into the film. And at the same time, during that process, I had uh, already been in touch with uh, James Samuel from New Zealand, and we talked about that. And at the same time, some people had started to hear about it in Europe, and they called me for that, and I had arranged the first tour. And so now this year, uh, we're going back to uh, Europe for our fourth tour. So it's, wow. it's, it's nice, and I like the idea of going back someplace, because going once, you give them an idea and you get them started. And I know that, for example, even though I only went once to New Zealand, I've had some feedback and people have started some really nice examples of it. And so that's, it's great. It's a learning experience for me as well to see their projects and how they're evolving and what they've learned and how they've adjusted it to their climate or their plant groups and so on. And so it's kind of, you know, an ever increasing database in your head that Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there they tried it like this and that worked well. And so learning from other people's project is is really great. That's absolutely that's absolutely the case, I think, as teachers, especially when we open ourselves to uh, the greater audience, it's it's humbling. And and, and then it becomes really fascinating because you're like, okay, well, what's different about your site? You know, and then. And, and you get to all these, these finer points and then everyone in the classroom also gets to, to t- partake in that deeper understanding. So it's super powerful what you're doing, what you're sharing. So what, what, would, you, what would you share with us? What are, what are some, some new things that are happening at the orchard? I know that uh, it's been this, this focus where you started off with just like Neil Speckman did and, and, and just like I did uh, with my own system, we all start with huge amounts of numbers and then we start testing, observing, and it's this like hyper-focus lens. Um, where, where are you at with your, with your, your plant numbers, um, your diversity, and then how are the birds? Because I remember we talked about how the birds and, and the, the, other, the other biodiversities are indicators. So what new things are you seeing that you would like to highlight in, in these updates? Uh, well, you mentioned the birds. Absolutely. This year we got, uh, we doubled the number of nest boxes, which is, it's been a need. We know we, when we've been kind of monitoring uh, the activity and how many boxes have been used. And it's been three years that we've needed to add. So we did add a little bit a couple of years ago. 
but I think we only added 20. That that hardly makes a dent. And so this year we added 140. Uh, so that doubled our number. So we're up to about 280 nest boxes now. And I figure, I mean, there's still birds coming. I just heard some new ones uh, this week that are going to use the boxes. So I figure we'll be pretty close to half occupancy, which is really maximum. Uh, I mean, if you put 10 boxes, you don't expect 10 pairs. You expect five pairs because most every species will protect two nest boxes. And that's kind of an unknown factor. But if you have a one nest box and you go, huh, I've had this and I don't have a bird, it's just because you don't have two nest boxes. Because a bird will look at it and say, yeah, I'd like that, but where's my alternate site? Wow. And so they're always looking for to have two in case anything happens in the first, they don't lose their nesting season. And so they have to have two in their territory. And so by having now doubling, uh, we're looking to, to reach about 150 pairs using the boxes. So that's, that's great. I don't think it'll take much more than uh, two years and we'll probably be there because the comment, the biggest comment people say is, geez, you've got so many birds. It's crazy. I mean, there, if people have, like, we've had different courses at the farm and when we had a PDC, uh, people would wake up all bleary because they said, you know, you can't sleep much past 4.30 here. It's no way. I mean, the birds are just crazy here. Yeah. So that's a good thing. And the other one you had mentioned was plant numbers. Actually, we've gone down a little bit in the plant numbers in terms of species and cultivars. Oh, yeah. We've got a lot more plants than we did, but we've reduced just because we're uh, we're following exactly, and, and I really recommend, maybe you can put it in the show notes, Mollison had a great little piece called The Phases of Abundance. Uh, so Phases of Abundance by Bill Mollison. First phase is you have abundance of species and cultivars. Second phase, you have abundance of propagation material. And the third phase is you'll have an abundance of harvest. Or, and so we have reached certainly the abundance of, we've tried a lot of species and, and that's the key. You got to try a lot of things and some of which we went, ah, eh, no, you know, ah, eh, no. And those we've been overgrafting. So that's something that we show people how to do, how to overgraft their trees and so on. And so we've gotten rid of some of them and we're keeping their better ones. So that's an important honing that you have to do in your system because not everything will work well, but the only way to do it is to try it. You can read about it and, you know, <laughs> scour catalogs and everything, but each site has its a little bit of its particulars. And so trying it is the only way to go. That was a superb response. So thinking, you know, that first section, the entire time I was like, did you study ornithology or did someone, one of your mentors in, um, in orchard care mention this early on that ornithology is something that we need to pay attention to? No, I, I, my training, I first, uh, I got a bachelor's degree in wildlife management. Wow. And then I continued with a, a master's in animal behavior studying birds. So, yes, I do have a strong bent <laughs> towards the birds. Uh, but really, it, the orchard kind of came out of the idea of birds. One of the first triggers to, you know, why get into, why do people get into these different things? And for me, one was reading the accounts. Uh, perhaps you've heard of John James Audubon. 
Oh yeah, you know? the Audubon no. Society. My mom, my mom was a you know she was a local legislator in Connecticut, so she was was a huge part of the Audubon Society and would always promote those kinds of things. And she was the person that was protecting the ecology and the sound by creating new legislation. You know, a Republican doing environmental stuff, right? Okay, that's that's one way to approach it, but sure. Yeah, we need that. So I'd looked at Audubon's accounts of uh, birds, and he always stated that one of the richest environments were old orchards. Hmm. And when I looked at old orchards nowadays, I thought, are you kidding? Where is the bird diversity? But an orchard back then was a very diverse ecosystem, as opposed to now it's a monoculture system. So that was part of the honing of the whole system was I thought, hey, why don't we have such a diversity that they talked about? And I realized we could if we return to diversity in plants. We absolutely still can, yeah. That's so incredible. That is so incredible. So, you know, your system reminds me of Veta La Palma, um, which, is, which is that system that uh, Dan Barber, the chef, talks about where he fell in love with the fish, that TED Talk. And they, they literally focus their whole system, or their measurements of their system are around the birds. The numbers, the diversity, and the health of their birds tell them how healthy their fish are and the ecology is. And he, the guy running it, uh, the main guy running it, he is an ecologist. You know, he, 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 he focuses on the animals and their interactions. So that is really awesome. I wonder how many of of the people involved in these sort of systems have this background. So, do you spend time in your in your in your in your courses and your classes with your students discussing ornithology is in a, in a way that most people do not? Um, let me think. Do I actually have a formal kind of part? I think it kind of oozes out of me by osmosis. That's so you, cool. I can't get away from it. You, uh, we'll be talking and then all of a sudden I'll point out, oh, no, wow, there's the first one this year. I mean, we just had a tour a couple weeks ago and all of a sudden there was a pair of osprey. It was like, hey, the osprey are back, but not just one, two of them. So, yeah, it's it, it's something that I think you've got it exactly. That is a great keystone indicator is without being a specific species, but just the number of birds because the number of birds indicate probably some kind of correlation with the number of insects and the diversity of plants. So, you know, if there's birds, they're showing that everything else has fallen into place as it, and is in good order. Right. It's well, it's like Galapagos, you know, in reverse, where they talked about the different birds re were, you know, had different beak sizes in relation to the different seed sizes and food. Exactly. Man, this is so exciting. I'm so I'm so excited to see these videos that, that you're planning. So what advice do you have for someone who is now inspired? Someone uh, that wants to follow you in their footsteps? Should they come to you? Should they, they, they go go to your site? I would say, the well, sure, the best thing really is to get the movie and watch that just because the movie's intent was, look, I, I just can't be everywhere. I can't help you with everything. And I do want to help you see mostly what it will be, because that's what the movie is kind of showing. It was all the techniques we use, the principles, 
but also you get a look of oh that's what it'll look like oh gosh that's neat i would you know that'll that'll be really fun so you have to start you know that old adage of start with the end in mind so you've got to have an image or a vision of what you can expect down the road otherwise that's really the fuel if you don't have any image or any idea of what it's going to be then you will probably lose steam because it's not a, a sprint it's a marathon and you've got to you know prepare for the long haul planting a bunch of trees and waiting for the harvest is a long process of patience and so yes start with the movie some people come and i'm I, i'm amazed how far people come for a tour or come to visit the farm uh, we have monthly tours on the first saturday of every month and so geez people come from too far away really uh, that's one of the reasons that i've done the film and i do the courses is i want there to be a lot more projects set up my personal mission on that is a thousand hectares a thousand people in 50 countries mainly the idea is we've got to get enough projects out there so that anybody who gets inspired you know somebody listening to this podcast and goes oh i really want to do that that you could find Where's the closest project that does that? And the goal would be that nobody would have to go more than a two-hour drive to see an example. So that's that's kind of the goal. That's what I'm I'm working towards getting. Uh, and if somebody's really keen, I need a bit of uh, I need a hub website. I need a website that would join everybody who's doing such a project, uh, so that. Ideally, everybody will see, oh, look, here's a project going on in uh, Missouri, and they have this and this and this kind of plants, and this is you know, a description of what they do. And I'm not the, the techno person to get all this together. I'm kind of, my hands are definitely more rooted in the ground than on a keyboard. And so that is something that if somebody's interested, you know, you can always email me and say, yeah, I'd love to help on that. Great. You know, info at miracle.farm. There you go. Yeah, there you go, guys. Reach out. So for, for those that are further along, for those that have a developed orchard, but want to transition from conventional to organic or beyond organic, really, which is what we're talking about. Um, what advice do you have for them? Uh, they may be scared. They may be uh, frustrated. Uh, they may be apprehensive. Yeah, I've seen several people who who's, who come to here and they go, yeah, we've already got this established orchard. I tell them now it's simple. Keep your orchard as it is. Don't change your existing orchard if it's profitable. That's the first thing. If it's not profitable, look, you're probably coming to see me because you're in a desperate situation and you're looking for some other way. But I still say don't cut your existing orchard like I did. I did that. I cut down the orchard we had and and then we started to replant. Well, when you cut your orchard, now you have no more revenue coming out of that. You know, your trees are done. Now you're waiting for trees to come into production. And that that's not the best strategy. The best is most people who have an orchard also have some land that they're either taking out old, old blocks and converting them or they're simply planning to, to add on another piece of land. Then I'd say, okay, start in your new area that's not orchard already. And it's always easier to start from zero than it is to restart. And so I restarted. I had an organic orchard, a monoculture apple organic orchard, and I restarted. So I cut down those trees and then replanted. 
way better would have been to have taken an empty area and started from scratch. And so that's what I would suggest there. But people who have uh, a homeowner who says, you know, oh, I'm excited. I'd like that. What can I do? My minimum plan is start with six trees or go with two trios. And if you saw the film or some of the videos, you know, I talk about trios of trees. So it's not a monoculture. It's right away a mixture of, uh, I said, NAP, N being nitrogen fixer. So that's N symbol for nitrogen. A would be an apple in our case, and P could be a pear or a plum. It's simply a nitrogen fixer with two fruit trees or a nitrogen fixer, a fruit and a nut, or it could be a nitrogen fixer and two nuts. You know, you can go nuts on that. <laughs> and so that's basically your options. But put in two trios of trees and go with the vertical trios, meaning we're not just talking trios of trees, so they're three different tree species, but you're also going three levels or a trio of levels. So tree, shrub, perennial, keeping it really simple because I know in permaculture, you know, we can go with, yeah, there's, you know, the seven layers and now they're even up to nine layers. Yes, but let's keep it simple. You know, <laughs> I like that principle. Keeping it simple is always the best strategy. So tree, shrub, perennial. So then put down those six trees, two trios, six trees, because you'll have two apple trees and let's say you'll have two plum trees and two different apples and two different plums at least that way you're guaranteed pollination so you will get a harvest in the future but you'll see how these idea works you'll see that the trees will start to there will be benefits between the trees you will reduce the insect pressure because you don't have the same tree next to each other uh, you'll get the benefits already with as few as six trees. And then having the trios, you'll start to increase the diversity. So you will have shrubs underneath which produce fruit. And then you'll have perennials, could be your perennials that are uh, perennial vegetables. You can have um, herbs underneath. And so having a whole range of herbs and, and plants, plus then if you decide you want to increase, now you have the material you need, so your second phase of abundance, which will be abundance of material. You can take scions from the fruit trees. You can take cuttings from the understory or the shrubby fruit shrubs, and you can multiply them, or you can take divisions or seeds from your perennials. So you already have material to expand, and each time you have an established layer, you can expand by anywhere from two to 10 times. So if you have six trees, you can go to 60 trees next year with the material you have at hand. Yeah, that's amazing. Have, have you thought about, you know, that whole conversion thing? Have you thought about if we leave that orchard in place, but we add those two other layers, you know what I mean? That, that would be a transition yes. pathway. Like, like you said, don't remove, don't kill any of those trees. Um, yes. But but you could add that shrub layer, you could add that, that perennial layer, and you could probably even go further by grafting uh, more varieties in, uh, maybe maybe spreading your season out, and maybe do it, design it like the way you have, where, so impressive, I love it how you have the rows set up, you're like, well, this is this week, and next week's over there. I, people in, uh, in out west, I only know of one, one farm that really 
um, has it dialed in with enough varieties that they have different varieties every week. But I don't think they actually have their orchard set up that way. <laughs> it's remarkable. Yeah. yeah, no, that uh, I've heard a few comments that people said that's the that's kind of the kicker that was needed is how can you have all this diversity and then make sense for harvest? Organization, so, yeah. Exactly. Beautiful. So organizing each row or each part of row even by harvest date and just planting them according to when they are harvested. So I don't care if it's an apple, pear, plum or cherry. All I'm caring is, oh, it produces in middle of August. Perfect. It goes in that row. And so it, that's it. We do divide up our month into three 10 day harvest windows and plant accordingly. That's awesome. Yeah, what you said about uh, you can do that, what you say of underplanting an existing orchard. I would say in in that case, you're best to go with an orchard that's really thinned out. Because otherwise, if you have solid trees in your row oh, yeah. and now you're looking to diversify, you're still going to have, let's say, a peach tree touching a peach tree, which is really the source of most of the problems down the road. Right. because you allow insects to easily migrate from one tree to another. And it's really not the solution to having the simplest orchard to maintain in terms of insects. Right. Yeah, I could see that being a transition where you remove one every other tree eventually or something like that. Wow, that is, that, that's really useful information for people to all consider that as they work on that. So. What So next, uh, the last question I have here is what next do you see? So it seems like you were hinting at it earlier where the, the next big project that's on the horizon is guaranteeing that we have working examples of permaculture orchards within two hours of every major city on earth. Yeah, well, every anybody, not just yeah, city. I everybody. mean, any, anybody. That would be incredible. Uh, Wow. That, Once yeah. that's reached, I, I mean, that I'm ready to, that's what I'm working towards. I know there, I get hundreds of emails and I know a lot of people have emailed me. Yes, I've started and my project is at this stage and so on. And now I just need to be able to group those people one by region or so on and, uh, and start learning from each other. Really, really uh, uh, network everybody together so that if you're in a certain say climate and zone uh, you can learn a lot from the what the other people are doing see because everybody's doing mistakes on their own but if you can link up with 10 people who are in a similar say climatic zone now you're going to be learning what did you what's your 10 worst mistakes and what's your 10 all of a sudden you go okay i was going to do that this spring uh, maybe I won't. I won't do that then. This <laughs> so that kind of learning from other people's mistakes is really valuable. And yes, that that whole thing is a is a must. Once we reach that, that everybody has access to two hours away to see a project, and I think then we will have the tipping point will be reached where the idea of planting a monocultural orchard uh, will really cause people to think twice. And, and I, I don't see it as a quick uh, solution. I mean, that's a, it's a long, I'm looking at probably a generation from now, but just when we reach the point where people will think, you know, I could plant this as a polycultural orchard and I see other people doing it and I see that they're profitable, then 
they'll kind of wonder, well, why would I be planting a monoculture orchard? And what I've seen is people who have done it for a long time, I really unfortunately don't hold a lot of hope for them because it's far easier to learn than to unlearn and relearn. You know what I mean? It's easier yeah. if somebody doesn't know how to do orchards too well and then they learn this technique or this way of doing it and then they start. While people who say, you know, I've been in this for 20 years or 50 years, they're not as likely to do a polycultural orchard because it's a lot of work to unlearn and then relearn. It's twice the work virtually. And wow. you tend to fall back on habits that you trust. So if somebody says, you know what, this thing about putting the plants underneath, oh, it's too much work. I think I'll just run my sprayer and put the herbicide underneath the trees to get rid of the grass. You see, so. Yeah, this, uh, is, the, this is, I mean, this is the main reason why people don't do like Elaine Ingham style levels of composting because they're like, wow, that's a lot of work. And it's like, well, be, yeah, look at the product. They're like, yeah, a lot of work. And you're like, what? wait. <laughs> and it's only a lot of work if you've never done it. Right. But once you've done it, 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 a lot of work often is in your head. Oh, yeah. Mentally, you think, oh, God, that's a lot of work. But when you do it, you realize, okay, okay. And like any technique, like any practice, if you've done it, uh, you know, I tell people who want to graph, just do 50 practice runs, you know, 50 practice branches, and then you won't find it as big of a deal because you will start that muscle memory. You will start the, okay, I know what's next now. And once that's reached, that you go, okay, I know what to do next, uh, it's it's really not that hard. Like, I don't see doing an orchard this way very hard, but I've done it for long enough now that I don't even have to really think about it. I know what's next and what's coming up next month. And, you know, I know the key points to do. It's not that difficult. And the fact that the the environment or the, I call them the allies, are doing a lot of the work for you makes that, I look at how people are running things conventionally. I think, wow, that's a lot of work. I mean, they're having to work at, against that insect when you don't even need to work against that insect. For me, for example, caterpillars were the worst problem we had when I was an organic orchardist. And now when I see a caterpillar, I get excited. Ah. It, it's day and night. Like to see caterpillars now, it's like, oh, great. We got some caterpillars because I know they'll disappear in <laughs> within three days. And I think of all the work people put into controlling caterpillars. You go, you know what? I got a whole crew working to control caterpillars and they're called birds and wasps. I don't have to do it. And so that's when you realize, gosh, you know, we could really have our cake and eat it. We can have an orchard and it can be less work. So I don't know. You have to kind of see it to believe it. That's why I say, you know, take a look at the movie. You'll, you will see at least a part of the year in it. We do have sequences for the winter and so on. But you, you do want to experience it there that the nine minute video that was shot in, uh, in September with the plums is another one. You really see uh, at that time of year. So see it first, get a, get a, an image of what it's like and how it could be. And if that doesn't inspire you, I'd say then don't look at a green field. Like don't look at working in growing in the area of growing things. Cause if it doesn't 
if that doesn't get you in some way, then nothing in that in in the field of you know plants and animals will get you. Yeah. It's just that simple. If it doesn't move you, then look at that as a good clue that hmm, maybe an office job is really what I should do. <laughs> and we've had interns that had come from an office background, worked with us for a couple of months to realize that, you know what? I was dreaming of doing this, but I realized that, you know, I'm good at what I do and I do enjoy that. I thought I would like this more, but I don't. And sometimes the learning, you know, knowing that it's a dream, it seems idyllic, but you don't have the character to do that. It's not everybody who should be growing things. Yeah. But you know, what's so wonderful about, um, it, it's so clear when you actually lay eyes upon your system compared to what the Central Valley in California looks like when you look at an orchard. Uh, one looks like they had a barren flat landscape that was once desert and they just like tilled and then planted in and there's trees somehow growing in them and it just looks impossible. And then yours looks like something from like a, a past that we all shared or something. I mean, it, it, it stirs emotions deep within me. And I know that it does with everyone I talk to about it. You look at it and you're drawn to it. You want, you want that. You want to be in that. You want to eat out of that. It, it, it is something that's biologically ingrained in us, in us I believe, uh, that when you look at a, a modern, conventional, not even organic, conventional orchard, it repulses you. <laughs> well, well, the, the idea of, you know, you say there's something innate. We all would come from the garden, if you like. You know, we all come from the Garden of Eden. And so that deep, deep, deep down, that's the image uh, that we long for. Oh, yeah. And so I say, look, try it. This spring, you know, now is the time. Try it, start it, get two trios out and just, re, you know, watch it for three to five years. Even if you do nothing more than get those two trios set up in your backyard and watch them. I Actually, I'd prefer if you even got them set up in your front yard. Yeah. And then watch them happen. Watch them change. And then start thinking, what can I do for the birds? What can I do? We just set up bee boxes this week. Uh, 20 bee boxes to attract the orchard bees. Uh, what could I do for leafcutter bees? What could I do for wasps? What can I do for bumblebees? And the more you get into it, the more you realize, you know, nature is, is always looking for one simple thing. It wants you to take one step towards nature and it will then come 10 towards you. And it's really that. I mean, I've seen it with, you know, so many cycles. You just have to help one little bit because the environment's been so denaturalized that you just need sometimes to to make an effort in one little direction and then all of a sudden you know realize oh boy nature is so generous to want to give back to you so much and it, you have to experience it you, you can't just read about it or watch it you have to experience it there's different levels but when you experience it, you you realize, my goodness, it you know, nature is so wonderfully made. We can't even hope to come close to the complexity and yet the simplicity, because in complexity, there is a simplicity. There is a pattern. There is 
it's so much to learn. I mean, your book is great at laying out those those basic, simple principles and patterns that are out there that we can learn and watch in our yards. You know, in I've seen people just on a on a balcony on a fifth floor. They can already have examples of things happening. So go for it. Just try it, and and you'll be convinced. I completely agree with that. I am so excited. Thank you so much, Stefan, for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. It was an inspiration, and I know that our listeners are going to be tuning in. Where, what, uh, remind us of the website again that we need to go to to, to, to watch that nine minutes and to buy the Permaculture Orchard uh, DVD or, or digital. Yeah, for the film, it would be permacultureorchard.com. Uh, for the nine minute, it's on YouTube. If you type in my name and put in uh, Miracle Farms, or if you put in Permaculture Orchard, you'll see there's a series of videos out there now on on that. Uh, our website for the farm is miracle.farm. If you're interested, you can always sign up on the email list. And uh, we're starting our season. This is this is the beginning of a, a new season. So. I thank you, Matt, for the opportunity, and I hope you continue your work because you're doing a very important aspect, getting people often who just heard about it and are in the very beginning stages, and that you're doing a great educating job of getting these people the basics to start, and not just such basics, because I mean, even when I read some of these, you can never get too much of the basics, uh, so you, refreshers are always good. So thanks a lot to you, too. Awesome. Well, I hope to, to catch up with you soon, and uh, maybe maybe we'll get make it over to that side of Canada one of these days. I haven't been there since my youth, and uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the world, so it would be lovely to come over there. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. All right. Well, have a wonderful weekend, and thank you so much, and I hope you have an incredible season. You, too. Thank you. All right. All right, well, that was perfect. Wow. So that was just absolutely amazing. I, I didn't know that about the ornithology. I didn't know he was a bird expert. I don't think many people knew that, actually. It's, a, it's definitely a thread in the permaculture orchard, but after I had written The Permaculture Student too, and seeing all the different examples of how there are people who are looking at the animals, the wild animals, as indicators for how well their system is working. And he was doing that, and so it just kind of came out right there in the moment, you know? I love it when that happens. It seems to happen a lot on this podcast, which I really am grateful for, and I hope keeps happening, and I hope you guys keep tuning in and catching these experiences with me because these are the kind of things that propel us to the next level, the kind of things that inspire us to study and dig deeper. I hope that you have a wonderful week and thank you for tuning in. From An Abundant Future with Matt Powers, have a great week.